13-year-old Adam has made a lot of mistakes in his life, but this has to be the biggest. Thanks to a massive fight with his little brother Callum, the mysterious and magical computer algorithm Popularis Incrementum has exploded and accidentally transported them to a completely different dimension. One where they were never born and the internet doesn't exist and neither does any of the technology they know and love. Will the brothers survive in this strange altiverse where everything is the same but different? Can they stop an evil villain from sabotaging their dad's world-changing technology when in this universe their dad doesn't even know who they are? And most importantly of all, will they ever find a way back home? Adam Destroys the Internet is out now in paperback. Available from your local Waterstones or online at Waterstones. Hello, it is Sean on Fun Kids Meets. This is the podcast where we meet excellent and interesting people. And joining us today is the legend that is Bex. Hello, Bex. Yay! Hi, Sean. How are you? Very, very good. Very good. Now, if I was going to make a guess on the genre of famous person that is going to be featured on the podcast today, (laughs) I would make an educated guess that it's going to be an author. Well... You are very well educated, Sean, because you are correct. It is an amazing author. See, that is, I've just been doing this podcast for so long now. My guessing abilities are just like final boss level. (laughs) They are Stella and Chef's Kiss Good. Well done. And uh, which author do we have on Fun Kids Meets today? Right, today is a big, I'd say legend uh, and pioneer of the authoring world. We, yeah, you know, I I did it. Um, He invented, by the way, this probably isn't helpful for right now because this is a short introduction he invented the concept of children's laureates it is internal drumroll please michael morpurgo and, and you know what we don't throw around the word pioneer lightly on this podcast we save that we, for the very best we only use it to refer to very famous celebrities or connor that's the only people we use it about. <laughs> excellent and we've been we've been waiting a little while for this new book from michael morpurgo haven't we hasn't it been a couple of years since his last one Yes, as you find out in the interview, I did mention that to him and he <laughs> he was very funny because he was like, yeah, I mean, he was like, it's taken me as long to write this book as it does any other book. He was like, there's nothing massively different about it. It's just <laughs> I've had some other, he was like, I've just done some different types of picture books in the meantime. And I was like, oh, okay. Because um, I had I had been told, oh, it's a big deal. It's his first one in years. And he was like, well, yeah, I've just been doing other stuff. He was he very low key with it, yeah. I'd heard that on the grapevine as well, that it was like a long awaited one. But I was like, two years, that's probably about, you know about yeah. the length of time it takes to write a novel it's not like you know can't just throw that stuff together absolutely and like i said he in the meantime he's written a couple of other picture books and, and other adventures and you know other types of stories so it's not like he's been hunkered away for two years on this novel he's a busy boy with a lot of stuff to do as pioneers are bex as, as pioneers, pioneers are. are we should ask connor yes as pioneers are so what's the name of uh, michael's new book bex i believe it is when fishes flew when fishes flew well, when fishes flew and the theme of flying fish have formed the foundations for a lot of my fun kids meets bingo questions here, Bex. <laughs> As you can imagine, it sparked my little imagination. Excellent. So questions that I would like answered, which may not be answered, but I'm hoping that you could answer them at the end of the podcast if Michael doesn't answer them himself. Um, other animals that didn't make his list to fly, like why did he go for flying fish? Could he have gone well, for like yeah, sure. flying hippopotamus, Pigs. you know, flying ferret. Yeah, I was about to say flying and, kestrel, but they already do fly. <laughs> That's already covered. Well, that you know what? That could be the sequel, though, Sean, to be fair. The flying kestrel. Yeah. Wouldn't put it past him. 
And uh, the, the, my next question would be, would he have a flying fish as a pet? Great question. Yeah, sure. I think it would stress me out massively. We'd never know where it was, would you? Under the water or in the air? It'd be absolutely all over the shop. Um, and also, his top three animals to grant the gift of aviation. <laughs> oh my days! Right, so you've really you've you've seen the title of this book, and that's where you've based everything, right? Is, is that what exactly. I'm exactly? And those three questions right. are why I don't interview the authors. I don't know. They're pretty good questions. I like the idea of which other animals could I give aviation opportunities to. I do appreciate that question, but um, my answer would be Labrador, I think. Um, but <laughs> shall we listen to the interview to find out if I ask any, if all of those questions? Exactly. Let's hear an actual pro <laughs> to ask the questions. So here's Bex's chat with Michael Mopergo. So I'm joined right now by, I think, world famous author, we can possibly say, Michael Mopergo. Hi, Michael. How are you? Very nice to be with you, Bex. Very nice to be here. Now, I feel like you're a bit of a friend of the show because we've met before um, at the Barnes uh, Festival. And I imagine you've had a very busy summer of lots of different festivals. Would that be right? Well, it's, it's getting very busy. I think to start with in the summer, a lot, of, a lot of festivals are quite tentative. Some are still online. And then the festival we met at, Barnes Festival, I think in a way opened the door a bit and said, well, no, I tell you what we'll do, we'll have a big, 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 big tent and we'll have people spaced out at tables so they can't be close even if they want to be. And it worked really, really well. And I think that's what people have done. I think we're all learning to be as safe as we possibly can, but be connected to what it is we love doing. And in our case, of course, it's stories and it's books. And I, I just think we just got to learn to, um, I suppose, sort of grow uh, the idea that this is going to be around. We just have to learn to deal with it, be careful about it, look after each other. Finally, it's about looking after each other. I've got to say that Barnes Festival, for me in particular, that was an amazing event because as you say, it was kind of the first one back, I think. Um, but also it was incredible. Whenever you mentioned any of your books, I heard a whole crowd of the audience be like, oh, it was like a rock star about to play their big hit. It was like you know, it was incredible. And it must be quite exciting for you to go back to those crowds of people who are just so enthusiastic. It, it is, and it really surprises me all the time. And I think, it, I tell you what, it'll happen to you, Bex. You won't, you won't like me saying this, but you will get old one day. You really will get old one day. No, it's and not going to happen. <laughs> and the joy of getting old is, uh, if you survive long enough, that there's a whole history behind you. We have a whole history of our lives, and that's what links us to other people. And in my case, it's a whole history of writing stories. And so in a way, when you go to an event like that, it's not just the children who recognise the titles, it's their parents, because they read these books when they were young. And um, that's that's wonderful. You get this feeling that you, you've been around for a long time and you've made a proper connection. And the wonderful thing about being a writer is that finally finding you are making relationships. It, it's a, they're very important relationships. You hardly ever meet the people who read your books. It's relatively rare. And when you do, it's just wonderful. But when even when you don't, what you know is that your stories are reaching across, yes, you said the world, they reach across the world into um, other languages, Chinese, Russian, French, German, whatever, whatever language it is, and you're reaching people you'll never meet, telling the tales you want to tell, and it's about human connection and understanding, and I, I love that. 
And of course, you are the master storyteller. I, I mean, our listeners will know you from Warhorse, Private Peaceful, uh, Butterfly Lion, but you have a brand new book to tell us all about. And uh, this is a very exciting one, When Fishes uh, Flew. It's a story of Eleanor's War. And it's the first novel in, is it two years that you've had out? Well, that's what the publishers say. I think they, they try to make it exciting as if it's something special. In two years, well, you know, it's, I should have actually written one a year before, I suppose, is what they're saying. <laughs> yes, it's the first novel for some time, but I've been writing other things as, as well. But this is the first novel, yeah. And I'm very excited about it because it is, I think it is, you maybe can do some research from me, Bex, or your listeners can. I'll try. But I think it's the first novel uh, ever to be written and told by a fish. <laughs> I'll have to do the research on that one, but I'm, I'm going to probably take your word for it, let's face it. You I, know more than I, I, I think, do. I think we are close to it being the only one ever told by a fish, and I'll have to explain to you what's behind that, really. Shall I tell you what the story, how the story started? Is that the best thing to do, Max? Go for it. Yes, please. Please do. Because it involves a fish, as you might guess now. And all the stories I write, all of them, um, begin with some rather fortunate happening, some place I visit, someone I meet, some story I hear. In this particular case, two years ago, before the pandemic, if you can believe there was a before the pandemic, um, Claire, my wife and I, we were in a, a place called Ithaca, an island near Cephalonia and Corfu in Greece. Why were we there? Because we become interested in the Odyssey, great book yep. by a fairly decent writer called Homer, <laughs> and Homer, Homer had lived on this island several thousand years ago. The ruins of his house are still there on this island. And we knew we were going to stay on the island, which is part of the great legend of Troy. And we happened, by pure coincidence, to be staying in a little house on a beach called Dexa Beach. And this was the beach up which Odysseus walked several thousand years before in legend, when he came back to see his wife after 10 years being away. And there was this old lady and a whole family, about 15 of them. But there was a grand old lady who was clearly the grandmother of the whole thing, dressed in a long black dress. And she would wander up and down the beach each evening about five o'clock, picking up any bits of plastic or bits of wood that had been washed up by the sea, which we thought was wonderful. She was looking after the beach. Anyway, one day we were lying there watching her do this again, watching the family play in the sea, jumping off the quay and all that stuff. And then suddenly she looked at us and beckoned us over. Come, come, come. So we went over and she was holding something cupped in her hands like this. And it was a flying fish. She said, they, they come here to die, which was very sad. And then she looked at us and she looked at us very, very straight. And she said, and they talk, you know. She started stroking the top of the fish's head, very gently. And the fish made this sound. The fish was talking. And, and I'm, I'm not lying, this really happened. The fish was talking, and I didn't know fish talk. I knew whales sang in the sea, but a whale is not a fish. This was mm -hmm. a fish talking. So all that evening, my wife and I, talked about nothing else except this talking fish. And I knew, because I'd been reading the Odyssey, that there was one god called Proteus who could change himself into anything he wanted to change into, any creature. 
So I thought in my head, this is Proteus who changed himself into a flying fish. I know it sounds stupid, but that's what I was already beginning to think. I was already beginning to work it out a bit. And we were walking along this road after our taverna meal that night, still talking about this extraordinary event. And we were walking past a house, quite a modern house. There was a light on and a sort of porch and a, uh, a balcony, and someone was sitting there. And we were going very close, so we had to say hello. So I said hello in my best Greek. Yes. And this guy says to me, hello. I said, you're not Greek, are you? He said, no, I'm Australian. <laughs> so I said, what are, you, what are you doing here? He said, I'm on holiday. And then, he, and then he started telling me this extraordinary story. So in one day, two stories out of Talking Fish, and then this man told a story. And he said, when he was a little boy of five, he lived in his mum and dad's house on exactly the same spot. And it was in 1954, and there was an earthquake, and the earth shook, and the house came down. Many people were killed all over the island. He had nowhere else to go at all, he and what was left of his family. The only place they could go was where they had relations, which was in Melbourne, Australia. So he went and lived the rest of his life in Melbourne, Australia, but he promised himself all the way through his young life and his older life that if he ever could, he'd gather together enough money to go back to Ithaca to rebuild the house on exactly the same spot, and he'd come there for three, four months, so much he could. And I thought to myself, this is just, this is just wonderful. It's like, it's, it's like a magic story. And then I did some research, and I found, what did I find? That there were flying fish around Australia. There were flying fish in the coastal waters around Ithaca. So I started weaving together this tale about a girl who is being brought up in uh, a Greek Australian girl um, living today, being brought up in, um, in Melbourne, Australia. But they have a visitor who comes once every two years, a great aunt Elena, and she comes from Ithaca. They don't really know anything about her. They just know she's an old lady and she's always been present and she likes doing Greek dancing and she likes eating Greek food. And they love her coming because they all feel, feel really Greek again. It, it, it's a really, and this girl adores her, absolutely adores this old lady. And then one day, they get a letter saying she's too old now to fly. So she can't come anymore. And she promises herself that as soon as she can, she'll do what a lot of Australians do. She'll get a rucksack and she'll go across to Europe and she'll find her aunt Elena again. But when she gets to her house, she's not there. And then there's a whole story about how she meets a fish on the beach, where, which I was talking about, Dexa Beach. And this fish tells her the tale of this old lady now, who she has thought of as just a funny old auntie. And it turns out she's much more heroic in her life than any Greek hero she's ever read about. So that's really what the story is about. It's about old people and their lives that they've led. And it's about quiet heroism, which I think needs, it needs telling. I think these are the people who, for instance, and I think it's maybe why I wrote it during the pandemic, there've been all these quiet people who just, oh, I don't know, they've, they've driven the lorries that collect our rubbish, they bring our post, they teach our children, they nurse us in hospital, and no one gives them medals, but they are the quiet heroes, you know? And I, I just think it, it's good to shine a light um, on the quiet things. So that's what this book does. I do love that angle of, of real life stories and heroes don't always wear capes. Heroes aren't always given medals, but they could be the person sat next to you. And I think that's a lovely angle that you take 
uh, in the story. And I should say, in the book we've just been discussing, we haven't really talked about the extraordinary illustrator, a man called George Butler, who's never illustrated... George Butler, yeah. A, yeah, he's never illustrated a children's book before. It's his first one. And uh, right. he, I think young people will really like to know that he's a young man, unlike me, he's a young man, and a quiet hero. He's one of these people who really believes in what he draws and paints. And he draws and paints what he cares about. He goes out to places like Syria and to refugee camps and places where there's been war or there is war. He's been out to Afghanistan and, and along with the army and all the rest of it and draws what he sees. Doesn't take photographs, nor films, he draws. And so this book is full of the most extraordinary drawings, very, very telling and touching, uh, wonderful with people, wonderful with landscape. And he really makes the book grow so that, in, in a sense, um, the cover sort of hits you. you hope I hope people are going to take it off the shelf. But open it up, and there's this whole world of the place of Ithaca, of the flying fish, and all, all of it, and the buildings that are knocked down in the ruins. That, because he's had experience of this firsthand. You know, he's lived in amongst the rubble. He's seen what happens when houses are bombed and when invaders come in. And so George Butler is... He's, he's quite an artist. He's wonderful. Lovely man, too. That's good to know. Yeah, his, his pictures are incredible and a really good accompaniment to the, to the story, I would say. Really, really well yes. chosen, the two of you, I think. That's terrific. No, it really is. I'm, I'm so thrilled to have, um, to have discovered him. Well, it wasn't me who discovered him. Someone else discovered him, but, but put us in touch anyway. So I'm very lucky with my illustrator. Just take, pretend you discovered him. Pretend you're the one who's got him in the world. You know, it's fine. <laughs> you think I could do that? All right, I'll tell you yeah. now. I discovered him. It, it, was me. it was me. Wonderful. <laughs> It'll be our secret. No one will know. It's fine. Um, well, well, Michael Morpurgo, thank you so much for chatting to us for Fun Kids. Um, I've had a blast. I'm sure our listeners will do as well. So thank you so much. And we'll look out for all of your many books on the bookshelves. Be great. Bless you. Thank you, Bex, very much. Big thanks to Michael Morpurgo for chatting to us on Fun Kids Meets. Bex, what excellent stuff. You know what? He's genuinely a lovely man. So I had met him at uh, Barnes Children's Book Festival over the summer and he remembered who I was. So when we logged on, we had a little chat because we have a few friends in common. He is so nice and thoughtful. He showed me the view from where he was sat in his office via uh, his Zoom uh, video. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, it was I mean, he lives like next to like the most beautiful lake. Um, and it was just honestly dreamy. And then, uh, you know, halfway through, he stops it to read me a poem. Like, just what a great interview and such a lovely man and really fascinating. And the kind of person, I think, could sit there and just you, just tell you stories all day and you wouldn't want to get a word in edgeways because you'd be like, t- tell me more, Michael, tell me more. Like, he is incredible. I loved him. And I think it's a surprise of no one that I scored a big fat zero out of three in the Fun Kids <laughs> Meets Bingo. I, I wanted you to get three, Sean, but sadly, I did not take as much of a flying fish situation question that you did, sadly. No, um, but quick fire, Bex. Other animals that you think should have made the list to fly in the book? To fly in the book? You know what? I'd love to see a flying otter. I think that'd be quite good oh, fun. Oh, that is a good one. Yeah, and if I'm thinking about it, I think the funniest animal to see flying would be a cow. I think yeah. a flying cow would be always funny. How about you? Agreed. Um, I think that flying ferret for alliteration purposes. Great, um, yeah. And also a flying sea lion. Oh, a sea lion! And they would be kings th- of like both land and sea. That'd be amazing. Yeah, and they—I I wouldn't add wings. I just, you know, they're big flipper things. Yeah. They just flap those. They just make them bigger, and they—they they, they fly <laughs> with those. 
That would be so difficult for them to do, but I really want to see it. Please invent that, Sean. Please, be, please make majestic. a flying sea lion. It would be, it would be quite an incredible feat. Um, and also, I think we covered this before, but uh, would you have a flying fish as a pet? Mine is a big no. Um, yes, because then I would charge people to come and see it and earn some money off the profit. Always about the cash, dollar, dollar. And uh, your, your top three animals, which I think we've already covered this as well. Top three animals to grant the gift of aviation. I think we've covered that in the other animals that should be on the list to fly. And once again, I'm going to say a cow because can you imagine looking up and just hearing moo over your head? You would be both delighted and terrified at the same time. Absolutely. Bex, thank you so much for joining us on Fun Kids Meets. No, thank you for letting me be here and play. It was lovely. I've heard a rumour that the Prime Minister might be on next week. So make sure you hit that subscribe button and uh, we will be back with more famous and interesting people next week on Fun Kids Meets. Thirteen-year-old Adam has made a lot of mistakes in his life, but this has to be the biggest. Thanks to a massive fight with his little brother Callum, the mysterious and magical computer algorithm Popularis Incrementum has exploded and accidentally transported them to a completely different dimension. One where they were never born and the internet doesn't exist, and neither does any of the technology they know and love. Will the brothers survive in this strange altiverse where everything is the same but different? Can they stop an evil villain from sabotaging their dad's world-changing technology when in this universe their dad doesn't even know who they are? And most importantly of all, will they ever find a way back home? Adam Destroys the Internet is out now in paperback. Available from your local Waterstones or online at Waterstones.